At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. now as we uh, just celebrate our children off to kids ministry, okay? Let's continue to put our hands together and praise God for our kids as they go to kids ministry. Come on, don't stop clapping. We want our kids to know that they are loved and beloved. Come on. It's exciting. God, I thank you for the time when we can slow down and remember who you are and what you did on the cross for us, Jesus. God, I thank you that we can be reminded that we're no different than Barabbas. Many of us are likely quick to judge him, labeled an insurrectionist, a murderer, a terrorist, a notorious criminal. In the eyes of God, we have all fallen short of his glory, and the wages of our sin is our death. So Jesus, I say thank you. Thank you that you went to the cross for each of us. Thank you that our lives have been pulled up out of the pit by you and into your marvelous light. I thank you for a worship team that leads us faithfully every Wednesday and every Sunday as we seek the face of our Lord, as we seek the foot of the cross where we are all equal, where we have all been saved. And I thank you that you brought us to this place together today, that you brought us physically here, you brought us emotionally and spiritually here, all of our experiences, all of our past all of our present, everything we're even going through right now, you brought up into this one building today. You brought up into this one place today to speak to us. It's the reason. It's not so we can get a good plate after we listen to a preacher. It's not so we can sing four, three or four songs and, and feel good about ourselves. It's because you want to meet with us today. So God, please give us ears to hear what it is you have to say, eyes to see what it is you are real, revealing to us. Anoint our hearts that we may have good ground, good soil, that the seed of your word might fall in fresh and that a harvest of righteousness would be found in our hearts. We love you, Lord. I praise you. I thank you today. I trust you. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Together we say amen. Amen. Let's put our hands together one more time, church. I'm so grateful for kids ministry. I'm so grateful for, for creative arts ministry. I'm so grateful that we get to come together and see all these pieces be put together. And, and it's kind of one big puzzle that all the pieces come together. And ministry is kind of a strange word, I think. And when, when you think about the word ministry, what do you often think of? You know, I think that many of us think about the stuff that pastors do or maybe what missionaries do in other countries or what happens on Sundays or what happens in the church building. And while none of those things are wrong when you think about what ministry is, they are unfortunately incomplete. 
that that's not all ministry is, but unfortunately many people, there is a widely held and extremely limited view that that's all ministry contains. That it just contains of, you know, what the professional Christians do, what the professional ministers do, and that's what ministry is. But your whole life is ministry. Everything we think, say, and do if we are found in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior is ministry unto him and his kingdom. And and this is a skewed view of ministry, not because I'm standing up here and telling you it is. It's a skewed view of ministry because that's not what the pages of Scripture say all ministry is. That the pages of Scripture have a much broader understanding of ministry rather than, again, professional Christians, pastors, guys like me doing all the work of the ministry. That is absolutely not the way the Bible prescribes it. That is absolutely not the way anyone would want it. But the way the Bible describes ministry, it's everything we do, but it is pastors, guys like me, equipping saints, folks like each and every one of us, all of us together to do the work of the ministry and build up the body of Christ. What I love about what the Apostle Paul said in that quote from Ephesians that I just said out right now, and and what I love he says about our time together today in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, so go ahead and turn in your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I love that he shares that there are so many ways that ministry goes forward, and one of the ways that we actually do ministry is by giving. That we often think of giving as the fuel that like makes ministry go, but giving itself is ministry. Giving itself is partnership in ministry. Giving is more than money, it is ministry. So if we have a narrowly short-sighted view of ministry, I'm hoping that you are liberated from that today. I'm hoping that you will see that every time you give, every time you partner, every time you serve, every time you pray, every time you do anything for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have done ministry and you have been a part of the work of the ministry. So I have a trick question. How many of you, up under the sound of my voice right now, by a show of hands, are in ministry? Wonderful. If your hand is up, you are listening, right? If your hand was down, we need to talk a little bit more because I believe wholeheartedly with all my being that the ministry of Woodside Bible Church in Pontiac is by every single person that has put their faith, hope, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of the living God. Y'all are in ministry. We are doing this together. This is not just about a couple people on staff. This is not just about a couple people with a title. This is about everybody. And if you've ever wanted to be in ministry, today's your chance. Today's your chance to say, I'm in ministry and we're going to chase after this together. So giving is more than money, it is ministry. That's the big idea of what we're going to look at today. And as we recall, if you've been tracking with us in this series called Overflow, where we see how everything comes from God through us to all, we, we see that what Paul is doing here, right? He's writing to this church. He's writing to the Corinthian believers, telling them how giving is more than money. It is ministry. And in chapter 9, verse 1, where we're going to start today, we're going to go all the way through verse 7 today, he says that you are partnering with the ministry for the saints. He calls giving the ministry for the saints. And I think an important place for us to pause real quick, or maybe yield at a yellow light in the sermon, is Is this how I view my giving? Do I view my giving, whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's resources, whatever it might be, do I view it as ministry? Do I look at it as I am participating in ministry? And my prayer is that we would be, again, liberated from a short-sighted view of ministry today as we look at what the Apostle Paul is doing. So 
he's traveling around, he's collecting funds. We know that, if you, again, if you've been with us, you know that the, the Christians, the brothers and sisters that are in Jerusalem are hurting, that there's a famine in Jerusalem. And because of the heavy-handedness of the Roman Empire governing them, because of Jewish hostilities toward the Christian, that they are hurting in Jerusalem. So Paul has gone uh, to uh, Achaia, which is basically the country. Corinth was the capital of the country. These are Grecian countries. Then he's gone to Macedonia, where we have churches like Berea and Thessalonica and Philippi. And he said, we need to partner together. We need to come together to raise funds so that we can take it back to Jerusalem and help our brothers and sisters that are hurting, to help those that are part of our body who are in deep need. And he called this coming alongside the, the Jerusalem church, the ministry for the saints. So are you starting to see a little bit more how the Apostle Paul looks at giving and resources as ministry? This is ministry. This isn't just paying for other people to do it. This is ministry. We are partnering together. And so many of us, all of us in fact, are called to partner in the same way. Every time that you would give your tithes and offerings to Woodside Bible Church, every time you would partner with a missionary that's somewhere on the globe, every time you would give money or talents or resources or volunteer hours to a good and godly agency or organization doing the work of the gospel, you're in ministry. You are partnering together in ministry, that we are in this together. And I think that, again, we need to just come to a, a quick conclusion that we are all indeed ministry. So if you have put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would like you to answer this question. Is your permanent residence on earth or in heaven? So every single one of you, by your own admission, are on a foreign mission trip right now. Amen? Every single one of us are doing ministry for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the sake of his name, in a place that is not our home. That doesn't sound much different than a foreign mission trip, does it? So each and every one of us, we are all in ministry. Every single one of us are called to do this. And by no means am I sliding those who, you know, go to, to foreign countries or are doing dangerous work in closed countries. I'm not saying, I'm not sliding that at all. I am saying that each and every one of us, though, are on an intergalactic mission trip. <laughs> every single one of us are on a, on a cosmic mission trip because we live in heaven. That's our permanent residence. But God has put us here because giving is more than money it's ministry hallelujah so the church in Corinth they wholeheartedly jumped on this campaign they said yeah we want to give and if we track back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 we see that they were eager and aggressive to give they say okay the church in Jerusalem that's kind of where this whole thing started that launched us that's sort of our mother church that's where this movement began and we're gathered now in Corinth and we're gathered in Thessalonica Berea Philippi so so we want to partner to help with our brothers and sisters so Paul writes these letters first and second Corinthians, a lot of it is talking about this partnership. A lot of it's also addressed in some of the messed up nature of the church in Corinth, right? They had some issues, amen? That's okay. You guys should read it. They have a way hardier amen worth of issues than that, right? There's some hearty amen issues going on in the church in Corinth, right? But so Paul writes 2 Corinthians kind of as a follow-up saying, we need to be partnered together. And folks were talking trash about Paul. They were challenging his apostleship, challenging his reputation, challenging the effectiveness and the actuality of his ministry. So Paul's writing this letter to defend that and also say, we need to be together. We have to do this together for our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And through this section of the letter that we've been in in this series called Overflow, chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, we're in week 4 of a five-week series right now, Paul 
Paul is outlining the Christian ethics behind giving. He's telling what the theology behind our generosity is. And he is relating how the spiritual principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ play out in the dynamic relationship and development of how, why, and what we give and how we live generous lives, right? So he's already laid this out in a bunch of ways. He's laid this out by telling the Corinthians that the Macedonians got gassed up because of how excited they were about their giving. He's told us, and this is how uh, giving and grace partnered, if you remembered in week one. In week two, how giving and the gospel partnered, that we had the person who had everything, all authority, all the toys, everything you could ever imagine. Just pick, picture anything on earth belonging to somebody, and this is Jesus, right? Jesus had all things, but for our sake, came down, making himself poor so that we might become rich. This is how generosity and the gospel play together. If you were with us last week, you would see how generosity and partnership play together, how ready giving excels with reliable partnership. That if you trust the leadership of the organizations you're giving to, you're going to give more freely. You're going to give more generously. You're going to say, I want to get on board with that because I know it's going to do what it is intended to do. And today we're going to look how generosity and ministry play together. That giving is more than money. It is ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Let's all turn in our Bibles there. If you didn't bring a Bible today, the words will be on the screen behind me. If you can't see the screen, pull out your cell phone or your tablet or whatever. Uh, If you need a Bible, you need to go to the Connect desk right here, and someone will gladly grab you one. Because if you're not reading the scriptures for yourself, how else will you know that I'm lying to you? Okay. All right. A couple people. Uh, If we're all there, say, Lord, I love your word. Oh, wait. I'm not waiting. I'm waiting for everybody to get to the Bible. We got to read the Bible together, church, right? Y'all need this, right? You don't need me. You need this. Okay. So if everybody's there in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, say, Lord, I love your word. That's a bit more people. All right. Now we have a quorum. Now we can continue. All right. Hallelujah. All right. So the first seven verses here in chapter 9, Paul says, now it is superfluous. That's a word. Uh, that means uh, unnecessary or redundant, right? So it's like, I don't even need to be writing this, but I am anyway. So now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. And your zeal, the church in Corinth, has stirred up most of them, the church in Macedonia. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you, meaning you'd be more humiliated than we are, for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction or a demand or a tax. The point is this, and anytime scripture says the point is this, we should probably pay attention. Amen? The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
This is an amazing text. It's a really, really beautiful text. I think there's probably two texts that kind of act as the fence posts for this entire series, and we get to examine one of them today. So we're going to look at three uh, pieces of our giving today to see how giving is more than money than it is ministry. From the first couple of verses, we see the Corinthian church really doing well with point number one, and it is commit to give, that we have to make a commitment to give, a commitment to be generous. Paul says, remember, he says it's superfluous or unnecessary or redundant, like I don't even need to write to you because I know the willingness that you have. I've seen your eagerness. I've actually seen how you've aggressively said, I want to partner. I want to be part of this work, which you've called the ministry for the saints. So Paul's reminding them again of, of their own commitment that they made about a year ago, which again, if you've been with us every week, this series, you've seen that there's a ton of this, that Paul was reminding them of the good and godly things that exist within the church in Corinth. And he says that your zeal has stirred up other churches. So because of what you have committed to do, because of your act of generosity, your commitment of generosity, that other churches in the area are gassed up because they're like, oh yeah, we got a partner. That is amazing. I really want to be a part of that work. So the Macedonians who Paul said earlier, didn't have much, right? Remember that equation? A severe test of affliction plus extreme poverty led to an abundance of joy and a wealth of generosity. That doesn't seem to make much sense, but when God has a grip on your heart, that is the kind of generosity that should flow out of us. No matter what we're going through, generosity flows out of us. And again, giving is about much, much more than money, church. We're talking about your heart here. We're talking about ministry here. So, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you kind of understand what this looks like. If you haven't been, check, out, check us out on Facebook. Go to Spotify. You can hear the podcast. But these, these messages build on top of one another really importantly. So the question we need to ask if Paul says, it's unnecessary for me to write this letter to you, the question is, why are you writing this letter to me then? How many of you have ever been in a conversation where somebody says it goes without saying? Then you're like, don't say it then. If it really, truly goes without saying, don't. You shouldn't have to. Or, I shouldn't have to tell you this, but I'm going to anyway. Say, uh, it's okay, don't. Like, I don't, I don't need you to. I have a feeling you're going to condescend me, right? Like, you know, we don't need to do this, right? So if it's unnecessary, though, like, what, what's Paul doing? I think it's more of a figure of speech that Paul is saying this, like, hey, guys, I, I, I know I don't even need to say this to you, but I just want to remind you of your own commitment. Your own commitment has been incredible. And I, and I got a bad report back from Titus who said that maybe, you know, you, you were listening to some of these rumors about me and you, you, you didn't want to partner with me or the church in Jerusalem anymore. I got this bad report back, but, you know, I think underneath your slow and maybe some of your reluctancy is a really good and godly heart that really wants to partner in the work of the ministry for the Jerusalem believers. And Paul is, is prodding them almost to act on their deeper and better motives. I think reminders like this are really important for us all the time. I think all of us can become like the Corinthian church very, very quickly, where we have really good intentions to start this great work and to commit to be generous or commit to serve, you know, every Sunday in kids' ministry. And then you serve one Sunday in kids' ministry and you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I'm sick on the third Sunday of every month. Like, I, I can't. But I think we all have these good intentions that sometimes we become pretty slow to act on. And why? How many of you have ever had life get in the way of your life? This is why, right? Life happens. Stuff happens all the time. And, and we tend to peter out because our flesh is weak. Jesus knew this. He said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Paul is coming as a spiritual father saying, I just want to remind you of how amazing God has done something in your heart, right? God is the one who has done this in your heart. I want to remind you of it. And this is 
so easy to, to see in our own culture today how this happens to us, how we want to be committed in giving. We want to be committed in serving. We want to be committed in generosity. But we are so committed to other things that when it bumps up into it, we can't commit to it because we're overcommitted. And then when we choose the things that are less than good and godly, we wonder why we're having these worldly results in our life. So how many of us is this our story? You don't have to raise your hand, but perhaps I've overcommitted, so now I can't commit to be generous in the way that God has blessed me with the opportunity to do so. And it has a powerful impact, right? Our generosity has a powerful impact, not only on those we're generous with or to, but everyone around us as well, right? Think of, if you're a parent, think about your children. Think about your children if they never see you helping or giving or serving. If it's just like, no, we're just going to do everything we can here. And like my, my kids ask, right? They're, my son Ezra is old enough now to ask, like, why aren't we helping this person? And I'm like, I'm your dad. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll choose, right? That's what happens in my flesh when I'm like, thank you. Thank you, God, for this opportunity for generosity. Because our kids see it. Our family sees it. Our church sees it. Paul's saying the Macedonian Christians who had nothing saw it and begged to give money. They were hurting. They were in extreme poverty and they begged to give because they had seen that this, this zeal get stirred up, right? So, so we know that our commitment goes a long way. Giving is more than money. It's ministry. If you see somebody that is wholeheartedly committed to generosity, have you ever seen that person be miserable? Never. Generous people are not miserable. It doesn't work that way. So I don't really see much, like I, I could say amen right now and say, let's all go be more generous in everything we can because we'll be happier. But that's not exactly what the Bible says. Amen. So we're going to continue on. So point number one, commit to give. Paul is reminding the Corinthians of their commitment. He's not saying you got to do it. He's reminding them of their own commitment. The second thing he says is prepare to give, right? Prepare. So you have to be committed and then you have to be prepared. If you're unprepared, it's not going to happen. Verses 3 and 4 talked about the sending on ahead of the brothers and then the humiliation that would come if this rich, wealthy church in Corinth wasn't able to give as they had said they would, be, they would have been able to give. So Paul reassures them, says, I don't even need to write this to you, but I am going to send on some brothers ahead. Uh, why? So we start to see the story unfold a little bit more here. We start to see kind of the, the mission that Paul is sort of undertaking here, right? So he knows that there's a problem with the, Jeru with the Christians in Jerusalem. He knows they're hurting. So he's making this journey, right? He's, he's, he's traveling on, on a missionary journeys to the church in Corinth and says, hey, there's this, and I, and I want you to partner with us financially because these are our brothers and sisters. And if our brothers and sisters are hurting and they have less than and we have more than we need, not we have a lot and they have a little, so we have to make it equal. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches if you have excess, more than you need, and you have a brother around you that has less, you are required to help. Amen? It's like 13 amens. All right. That's okay. That's all right. I brought plenty of my own today. I, I knew this was going to be one where I needed my own amens and hallelujah. So I came ready today. I got them in the truck, too. I'm ready to go. So we, we're painting the picture here, right, where Paul's saying, we're going to go to the church in Corinth, and we're going to ask them to partner because we need help, right? And then they said, yeah, we're all in. We're aggressive. We're aggressive towards this. We want to commit. And then Paul goes to tell the church in Macedonia, right, who they're going through it. Like, they're struggling. They're, they have, again, extreme poverty and a severe test of affliction. That is not typically a recipe for a wealth of generosity. But that's what we see happening because God has a grip of their hearts. This is what hearts that have been transformed by Christ Jesus will do. They'll say, I just want to partner with you, Jesus, whatever it is. They beg Paul to let them help. So the, the, the formula is this. 
that they're going to give some of their resources, not so that other people are comforted and they're hurting, right? Paul talked about that last week. I'm not saying you're supposed to be burdened and other people are supposed to have it easy. That's not the command. That's not the theology of generosity. That's not the biblical command to give. Paul makes that clear. But he says, church of Macedonia, you give what you can and send some brothers with you, right? So that there are people there who are reliable brothers who will say, we're going to make sure this money goes where it's supposed to. And then the, the people from Macedonia are supposed to go with Paul to the church in Corinth, where then they would send resources and people with them. And then all together, one big merry band, they would all go to Jerusalem, people from the churches in Macedonia, people from the churches in Corinth, and they would bring these resources and they would serve their brothers and their sisters. That's, that's the plan that Paul has laid out here. But we kind of pick it up in the middle of the plan where Paul's saying, we've got the Macedonian Christians on board. They're ready to help. But before they come to Corinth, I'm going to send people on ahead. I'm going to send some brothers on ahead just to make sure that nobody's humiliated, just to make sure that you're ready, just to make sure that all this is going to go according to plan. And for us, in our cynical Western mindsets in 2021, I think we have a deep temptation to misread what Paul is doing here. I think there's a, there's a pretty easy temptation to say, okay, so, so the Corinthian Christians are excited, eager, and willing to give but Paul's writing them a letter reminding them how excited they are to give him money. And now he's sending brothers on ahead. I don't know what these brothers looked like necessarily. I don't know if they were like Mr. T, right? Like if, if Paul sent some muscle on ahead to make sure that this happened the way it's supposed to. That's the way we can misread this pretty quickly. Where we can say like, well, if they're so willing, Paul, why do you keep bugging them? Why do you keep hitting them up for money? What is going on? Why, why is this happening? Why does it look this way? And I think we have to understand the deeper meaning of the text and the deeper pastoral heart of Paul here where he talks about humiliation. He's saying, like, I'm going to send people on ahead just to make sure. Because this has always been Paul's MO and God's MO with giving as well. I don't want you, when I get there, to say, oh, Paul's here. We have to give now that it's going to be under compulsion, or I'm giving to Paul, the great mighty missionary Paul, the one who used to kill Christians and now is, is, is bringing people to Christ. So he's saying, I want you to be ready before I get there so that there's no pressure on you, so that this is truly just between you and God. He's actually protecting them by saying, I'm sending people ahead just to make sure that when we get there with these poor Macedonians who brought a boatload of money, right, they brought a wealth of generosity, they're going to get there to the rich Corinthians and be like, hold on, like I... I thought y'all had money. Why are we not doing this? Why are you not partnering? Why are we the ones partnering and you're not partnering? And Paul says he'll be humiliated for boasting about what God has done in the Corinthians. And then the Corinthians would be humiliated because the Macedonians would show up and say, something's not right here. Like, what's, what's going on? And I think that, you know, when, when somebody's hyping somebody else up, right, you have pretty high expectations for what it's going to look like, right? I love living in the metro Detroit area. Because there's lots of sports teams here, and good sports teams come to Detroit and play the teams in Detroit, right? And I love to buy tickets to go watch other teams come play. Amen? Okay. Some of y'all get it. Some of y'all are just mad. The Lions had a good draft. It's okay. It's, it's all right. But it, it, would be, it would be like this, right? So, so if I was like, hey... Uh, the Lakers are coming to play the Pistons, and we got to go see LeBron play. Like, we really got to check him out, right? He, he's a great player. He's an amazing athlete. And you're a casual basketball fan, and you're like, who? What's LeBron? I don't know what that means. Like, you want me to come to a basketball game? Okay, whatever. I'll come see this, this amazing phenom, whatever. You're, you're hyping him up to be something pretty serious. And then we buy our tickets. We go to the game. And because the Lakers know they're playing the Pistons, who doesn't have to play for them to win? LeBron, right? So, so one of the best players isn't playing, and you're like, I thought, 
I thought this guy was supposed to be amazing. I, I, I was getting all hyped up to see what had happened. This would be like the Macedonians coming back to see, like, why aren't you ready? Why aren't you playing in the game? Well, I, I heard y'all, I heard you were incredible. Why, why are you not ready to play in the game? And again, there's a temptation for us to misread this, but just like the Corinthian church, we need to be prepared to give, that we commit to give. I believe in the hearts of just about all of you. If I don't, if I don't know your heart, I can't, I can't say anything for you, but I thank God you're in church on a Sunday. Hallelujah. But I believe in almost every one of your hearts that I know. I, I should rephrase that. I believe in all of your hearts that I know. You want to be generous. You want to give. You want to serve God. You want, you want to do exploits for the kingdom of heaven. I don't think anybody's here because they're just like, I just want to skate by, and if I come to church, I might catch a blessing, right? And if you are, I'm sorry, but that, this, this ain't the church for that, right? Uh, that's not what the Bible says, so I'm not going to preach that. However, we will get to God's blessings because it is very, very clear that you will be blessed. Preparation starts in the living of our lives, Preparation doesn't start in the moment. You can't get prepared for the moment when you're in the moment. If you're not ready for the moment to come, you're probably not going to be able to perform in the way that you have been called. So, so I think many of us aren't prepared for the blessing of generosity. Let, let's hear this, right? Any opportunity we have to be generous is not so that, like, we will show ourselves worthy to God. It is a blessing he's offering us. He's saying, I'm going to give you the privilege to be generous so that you can partner with me in my great redemptive work of humanity, right? We often think like if I just do enough or if I just give enough, then God will like me. No, that's not the gospel. It is a privilege to partner with God in generosity. So that's the way we look at these opportunities for generosity. Now, again, we're going to get to the blessings here in a minute, but I think that many of us aren't prepared to be generous because we're preparing for other things. Because we're preparing to either fuel ourselves or feed ourselves or preparing in ways that are just going to be distracting to the, to the blessing of generosity that God offers to me. And if we understand truly that giving is more than money, it's ministry, then we'll prepare in many other different kinds of ways, right? And I don't know about you, but like I want to be prepared for whatever ministry of generosity God has for me because I believe it is a blessing when I get the opportunity to be generous. And, and God gave me an opportunity yesterday, right? And and again, I'm not the hero of the story, right? I just happen to be ready at the moment, right? And I've been more, less ready than I have been more ready in these moments in my life. But yesterday, Mariah, right, we, we came and I, I, was, I was bringing tables and chairs to an event, right? That was all I was told to bring. Um, and your mom's not in here, is she? But that's okay. You can catch me on Facebook, Melanie. Um, <laughs> you know, you get there and sometimes, right, you, you get to an event, you're like, I'm here to serve, I'm here to help. Uh, and then I'm like, I got the tables and chairs. And uh, because this is the way brothers and sisters interact, Melanie said, uh, oh, I need this, 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 and this. And I was like, oh, all right. Like, I'm here with the tables and chairs. I think, like, that's all I came to do, you know. <laughs> Thank, thanks. Uh, but God was like, you need a good sermon illustration for tomorrow. <laughs> right? He's like, you don't want to look like a fool tomorrow, do you? So I said, okay, God, what are we doing, right? I've got my boys with me. It's a Saturday morning. Uh, so we drive around. I say, yes, I would love to go get everything else. Tell me what you need. I'll go get all of it, whatever it is. I would love this opportunity to go help and do whatever I can, right? And, and then my son, Ezra, he asks, why are we doing this? And I say, because it's an honor to serve our sister, and it's a privilege to serve our God. And he just looked at me, right? He didn't get it, but like, that was one of those moments where I was like, God, thank you. 
thank you for allowing us to be prepared to be generous. But the, the problem that most of us run into is we're just, we're not ready because we're overprogrammed, we're overscheduled because we are living way beyond our means. I'm not saying that you're not supposed to have nice things. I'm just saying if you have nice things that don't allow you to be generous with the rest of your life, you might be missing it. Right? If your nice things keep you at, at this much of a margin, right, just so you can upkeep a $700 a month car payment, like, I'm not saying don't drive a $700 a month car payment. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying leave some room in your life to be generous when God blesses you with the chance. When God gives you the opportunity to be generous, we need to live within the means that he's given us. All right. So we commit, we prepare, and now what happens? We do it. We cheerfully do it. It's exciting, right? This word translates to hilariously, right? If you are committed to give and prepared to give, when the opportunity comes, like, you jump in the air, right? You say, thank you, God. Thank you that I get to be generous with whatever it is. Let's read these last couple of verses together, verses 5 through 7, right? Paul says, I thought it would be necessary to send the brothers ahead to arrange the gift because you promised it, and it may be ready as a willing gift, not an exaction or a demand or a tax, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So this is one of those fence post verse, right? This is, this is it, that, that Paul gives this little proverb in, in, in verse 6, which we're going to get to, and we're going to translate a little bit uh, using original language, and then in verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. How many of you would like to be loved by God? If it says God loves a cheerful giver, like, should we not respond? Should we not just say, okay, thank you, A, B, C. You've shown me what this is. And, and Paul says giving isn't something that should come because anybody's making you. And in fact, God's heart on giving has never changed. When they were building the tabernacle in Exodus, he said, take this tithe from people that are willing to give it. Don't take it from anybody that doesn't want to give it. That's not Christian giving. That's not biblical giving. So whenever you feel like somebody's making you give or you feel like, oh, I guess I should give. I've been going to this church long enough. Like, take the money when you're mad about it, right? God's like, that's not the heart. That's not, that's not what I'm asking. That's not what I'm actually trying to give to you, right? That, that, that we look at this so upside down because of our you know, westernized consumeristic culture, that we look at this so upside down that it's such a blessing to partner with God in whatever way he's given us access to be generous with. If that's money, it's money. If it's time, it's time. If it's skills, it's skills. Whatever it is. So Paul here makes this strong appeal for their generosity. And then again, he, in verse 6, he gives this beautiful proverb almost, where he says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, right? And we know that to be absolutely true, in every area of our life, but we tend not to want to believe that in finances, right? Uh, if, if you're a farmer and you don't plant many seeds, you won't have many crops. Amen? If you're a basketball player and you don't shoot many shots, you won't score many points. Amen? So, so why is it when we get to money, we're like, ah, no, 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 God's going to bless me exponentially because I heard that one day on a TV show. It's like, well, hold on. Okay, I get it. I hear you, I, I hear you right? I, I know. But we have to understand the translation of this word. So he says, whoever reaps or ever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. That word doesn't exactly translate to bountifully for us the best way. The Greek word is blessing, 
Whoever sows in a blessing will reap in a blessing. So whoever sows in a matter of blessing will reap blessings back. Again, this is about the heart of the giver. This is about God's grace. This is about the manner of blessings, that God gives blessings to those who give as a matter of blessing. It's nowhere near about the amount of money. Remember, it's not about that. It's about the blessing that God is trying to give to us, right? So it's, so it's not about how much we give. It's how we give in whatever way is generous in our life, in our family, with an attitude of joy. That then brings blessing. And it's not, oh, let me, yeah, we don't have time, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, you, you've seen them on TV. You've heard them on the radio. Uh, Tim, you and I had a conversation about this last week. You know, somebody who says, like, I believe God said to me, if you sow a $1,000 seed, I'm going to make sure you get $10,000 back. Could God do that? Absolutely he could do that. That's well within God's right and means to do. Is that what the scriptures say? No. And I can debunk this in 30 seconds for any, anybody that's ever said that to you, right? If they really believed it, they would be sending you money. If they really believed that God said he was going to give me a hundredfold whatever I sowed, I would be sending money out, wouldn't you? Right? That if, if, God, if, if, if I was going to get this principle, if this was going to work in my life. Now, again, I am not uh, saying that you shouldn't sow seeds of blessing. I am not saying that you shouldn't give to good and godly efforts all over the globe. I am saying that when it comes in that direction, that is not what the scriptures say. It does not say it like this. Now, there are talks of a hundredfold blessing when a seed falls into your heart and it's a seed of righteousness. Absolutely, those things can happen. But it is not nearly as formulaic as people make it sound in the scripture. So what God says, and this is what Paul is saying here, that giving is more than money, it's ministry. And if you sow as a matter of blessing, you will reap blessings back from God. So if you are sowing as a matter of, nah, I don't want to do this, but you know, one day they're going to check my tithes and I may get in trouble. God doesn't want it anyway. I don't want it. The church doesn't want it. If you sow and say, I'd like to give $50,000 to the church, but I have to join your board to make sure you spend it right. I say, that's okay. It's all right. We don't need it. Because that's not the right heart. Right? God is in the business of blessing. And Paul is wrapping it up here by saying uh, that everyone has to decide, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? Because God's grace is meant to be reciprocated in the same way that it was given. God's grace was not given reluctantly or under compulsion. God's grace in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, was given voluntarily, freely, generously, joyfully. And that's the type of people that we are called to be. So if you are finding difficulty with joy and generosity, if you are finding difficulty with volunteerism and freedom in generosity. I'm not just talking about money, church, but any, like any opportunity you have to be generous. If you're finding difficulty with that, I would encourage you to look at Jesus a little bit more closely. I would encourage you to look at the one who looked at your life and said, I'm going to pull you out of the muck and the miry clay. I'm going to pull you out of a pit of darkness, and I'm going to pull you into my marvelous light, and I'm going to do it because I want to, and I'm going to do it because I love you. I'm not going to do it because I have to. And we just miss it. This is, not, this is not what God is saying. And I'm sorry for any ministries that have ever made you feel like this. Because that's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of giving. Generosity is an unreal blessing to be a part of. Again, and we can paint this really qu quickly. God loves a cheerful giver. I should be a cheerful giver. God will love me. Amen. Amen. Even if you look at it that practically, right? 
We could just take things that are so simplistic to see what God will do in our hearts, to see what God will do in our lives. If he was generous, if he, for the joy set before him, he called this thing joy. He called hanging on a cross joy. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So out of this reality is how we're supposed to respond. And this is how we're supposed to cheerfully give of our lives to gospel efforts. So church, I don't have any more words to convince you. All we have to do is look at Jesus. And I, and I don't know about you, like my life was a complete wreck before Christ. A complete and utter wreck. And now that I've truly tasted him, I woke up, and I'm, again, this is not about me. I'm never the hero of any of these stories. But I woke up and put my feet on the ground and said, thank you for feet. And walked and said, thank you that I have a light in my bathroom. Right? And this is the joy of the generosity that's been poured out on us. And when you actually really deeply commune with the one that pulled you out of hell and gave you anything, how could we withhold generosity in any way? Anything, anything that comes our way. How could we say, you know, I, I'll, here, church, take the extra 20 bucks and I guess I have to have salmon for lunch instead of steak. And we're like mad. God's like, don't do that. Eat your steak. You'll come back. Like, it's okay. Enjoy it. Enjoy whatever you want to do. If your heart is not right, if your heart has not been pricked in a way that is so deep by Christ Jesus that you can't help but look at your life and say, thank you. Thank you for everything. I don't have anything without you. Because we were following the devil, headed for hell before Christ. Doesn't matter how nice of a family you grew up in. Doesn't matter how smart you think you are. We were following the devil until we were following Christ. By grace through faith we've been saved. So what does our generosity in our lives look like? Is it something that's cheerful? Is it something that we commit to, prepare to, and then we say, yes! Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to go be generous. I can't wait to give of myself because Jesus gave his life for me. I can't wait to go do this. If the church were having a bake sale, right? I don't, we don't want mad cupcakes. We don't want angry cupcakes here, right? We don't want anybody who's like, I'm mainly I don't, even, I don't know if bake sales are even legal. I'm pretty sure that's not Serve Safe certified, but that, that's okay. That's not here or there. But, but the opportunity is like, a bake sale? I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait to go make something for, for the goodness of the gospel. I can't wait to partner with Jesus in whatever I have. It doesn't have to be money. If you don't have money to buy a, a dozen hammers that were on sale at Ace Hardware for spring serve that's coming up, show up if you can use a hammer. Somebody will say, oh, I've been praying that someone could come use a hammer. It doesn't have to be about the money. It's about our lives. And our lives are what we have been given by Jesus. So we're to go be generous with it for his sake and for the world. But is it something that we do reluctantly? Or is it something that we do under compulsion? Again, I, how many of you have ever met a generous person that's miserable? No one, ever. I don't, those people don't exist. Real generous people. Not people that give a lot. Real generous people. There's a big difference between the bottom line and a heart of generosity. Giving is more than ministry. If you've given your heart over to Jesus, our response is generosity. In whatever way he's calling you to be generous. 
Don't miss the blessing of that. Don't miss the blessing of sowing as a matter of blessing and reaping God's blessings back onto your life. Can God fill up your bank account if you're faithful with your money? Of course he can. He can do whatever he wants to do. Will God do that for everyone? No, I don't think so. I don't think that's the way it's going to work for everyone. Because I think he knows the things that he's going to protect each of us from. Some of us need to be protected from big bank accounts. It's the bottom line. Some of us need to be protected from extra so we can live a life of simplicity. Because that's what the gospel calls for. So for each and every one of us, it's, it's an amazing opportunity to be generous. Like I already mentioned, in two Saturdays, we've got spring serve coming up where we're going to clean up the east side of Pontiac. Because I just don't think people deserve to live in, with trash on their street. It's that simple. It's a very simple gospel understanding here, right? That we should clean up the environment and people feel better. Amen. Let's go do that. Let's all partner to do that. You may have stuff going on, right? Somebody may, you may, may have a wedding to go to. You may have whatever, doctor's appointment on Saturday. However, not many doctor's offices are open on Saturday, so I'm going to check. I'm expecting a note, right? But, I mean, we, we all got stuff going on. I get it. It's okay. But, like, why can't we just really simplistically say, Jesus Christ has given me everything. Jesus Christ has given me life. I can pick up six pieces of trash on a Saturday. So, like, it's just, it's simple stuff. Or, like, Jesus Christ has allowed me to have my faculties about me that I have a driver's license. We're restarting our transportation ministry back up here. I can, yeah. There are so few ministries that you can see gospel product as instantly as transportation. You drive a bus, people hear the gospel. It's an incredible blessing. It's an incredible opportunity of generosity. So whatever it is, church, I, I don't know what it is for each of you, and I would never stand up here and tell you, I, I believe everybody's supposed to give $100 in here today. I would never do something like that, ever, because God doesn't do stuff like that. I would say God has called us to generosity because without him, you have nothing that's going to last. You may have a big house, fancy car, nice clothes, big old bank account, but you're going to die, and so is all that. But the things that really matter, the treasure in heaven that we're storing up, Oh, that's, that's wealth to be generous with. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing an exciting song because God loves a cheerful giver. So we're going to get excited, right? We commit to give, we prepare to give, and then Paul says it's hilarious, right, that we should be like, yes, I can't wait to bake. I can't wait to swing a hammer. I can't wait to just show up and help however I can. Use me, God. That's the heart he's looking for. That's why it says God loves a cheerful giver. It does not say God loves people that stands in the $1,000 line at church. It doesn't say that anywhere in here. It said he loves a cheerful giver. Somebody that's giving out of the generosity that he has sto stored in their heart through the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. So we're going to sing a song called Be Praised. Because we want God to be praised for all the generosity he's poured into our heart. If you have a negative bank account today, you can still serve the Lord with generosity. Right? If you have 18 savings accounts today, you can serve the Lord in generosity. Doesn't even have to be money. Serve him in the generosity because you wouldn't have anything without him. So I'm going to pray for us and we're going to get excited and worship our king. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet and let's get excited, church. Father, I love you. I thank you. Thank you for the generosity that you have poured out onto each and every one of us. Thank you for your sacred scriptures that shows us what you're looking for. 
It doesn't get much simpler than this, where it says, God loves a cheerful giver. May we be hilarious with our generosity. And then it will catch fire. And people around us will say, I don't really know how that happened, but God did it. And people that are in our lives, maybe our children or those around us will say, how, how did you just give that away? And say, it wasn't mine anyway. God gave it to me for this purpose. That when we can live like this, we start to see the true, pure joy of the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. So increase our joy today. Increase our generosity today. And we will see how we can move forward more toward your kingdom, more toward your throne, looking more like you in a world that is desperate for you, Jesus. The world doesn't need a bunch of good Christians. They need Jesus Christ. So I pray that we will show our community who you are today. We will show our spouse who you are today. We will show our children and our household and our neighborhood who you are today with our joy. Father, I love you. I thank you. I praise you. I trust you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Let's get excited as we say amen and give worship to our king. Let's put our hands together, church. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.